Okay. Morning, church. <laughs> well, we just heard that last week we had Pastor Ina and Kwame and um, Philip Dupont. Well, guess who you've got today? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're not daunted. God can use a donkey. He can use us. And you know what? We can stand on the shoulders of giants, can't we? So, Amen. Okay. Right. So we'll start. Um, have you ever watched one of those uh, films where for the first 20 minutes, everything's happening, it's all action, and so on and so forth, and then after about 20 minutes, you get the title? Yeah? Well, this morning's a little bit like that. You will get a title eventually. Okay? So... First of all, I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about a president of the United States, Leslie Lynch King Jr. Now, I reckon there's probably nobody in here that's ever heard of President King, and that's not surprising because there was never a President King of the United States. However, he was born in July 1913, Sixteen days after his birth, his parents separated and later divorced. Mother and baby moved back to live with her parents. And then sometime later, mom remarried. She married a paint salesman. And not content to bring up a child who was not his own, the new husband legally adopted Leslie and thereby gave him a new name, a new family, a new life, a new future, and a new destiny. Okay? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. You might not know the name, but you know what it means. A new name, a new family, a new life, a new future, and a new destiny. So, we'll have our uh, quotation here now. Galatians, Galatians 4, verses 4 to 8. Four to seven. Four to eight. I've written four to eight. Anyway, never mind. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Okay? I want you to know one phrase in particular. Full rights, full rights of sons. Now, that's a translation given in the NIV. Other translations use other terms. Terms such as adoption, the spirit of adoption, or adopted sons. So it's from those changes, those slight differences of um, translation that we get our title. So yeah, we've got there eventually. Okay. Our title is Adopting Our Full Rights of Sonship. Okay? So, Adopting Our Full Rights of Sonship. Oh, by the way, for those of, uh, of, your, of a curious nature, and to put the record straight, Gerald Ford was the 38th US president that we described earlier on. Okay. Doesn't matter to the message, just for those that... 
<laughs> think I've made it up. <laughs> okay, so why are we talking about adoption this morning? Is it because as foster carers it's a subject that's close to our hearts? Yeah, yeah it certainly is. Is it because we hope you'll all be inspired to go out and adopt a child? No, <laughs> it's all right. You don't need to be worried. That's not what we expect. But just dream a dream with me for a second, will you? If every church in this nation had just one family that were willing and able to adopt one child, how much impact would that have on the nation's fatherless population? Yeah. Just a little aside that came to me this morning. I'm going to let you into a family secret. And Veronica doesn't know I'm going to say this. but It's not really okay. a secret. We don't have secrets. But a little bit of the family that you won't know. Our beautiful daughter over here, Melanie, is adopted. No, she's not. But in her eyes, she's adopted. Shall I tell you why she feels she's adopted? Because as a baby... She has no photographs of her as a baby. That was me because I had to think about photographs. No, I don't want photographs. I'm going to draw pictures or I'm going to paint pictures, which, of course, I never did. <laughs> so she's adopted. She's convinced that there's no photos, so she must have been. But our talk this morning, hopefully, will give you a better understanding of the foundation that was a bad foundation, Mel. <laughs> You're not adopted, I can assure you. Right? Too much like your dad. <laughs> True. Okay. So, the reason we're talking about adoption is hopefully to widen your understanding of what it's all about, but not just from a worldview, but from God's perspective as well. In fact, mainly from God's perspective. It's a subject that is seldom talked about in church. We don't often consider it from a biblical point of view, and its spiritual importance is largely overlooked. So, Christians often describe themselves as born again. Yeah, we can agree with that. Even non-believers often have a pretty good understanding of what that phrase means. But how often have you heard a Christian describe themselves as an adopted son? Would anybody understand what you meant if you said, I'm an adopted son? They get the wrong idea, I think. Yeah, you know, both descriptions, born again and adopted son, are true and are both integral parts of God's wonderful plan of salvation. So, let's look at new birth just for a moment. New birth establishes a new relationship with God where we're brought as helpless children born into the family only by God's sovereign grace. John 1, verses 12 to 13, says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decisions, or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay? So that's John 1, verses 12 to 13. But again, draw your attention to one little part. It says, children of God. Yeah? 
That means children, with a children's understanding, a child's rights and a child's responsibilities. A child's lack of maturity. So, does that mean we have to go through a period of growth, some sort of achievement of some sort of spiritual maturity, before we receive our full rights? No, we don't, do we? Nothing comes as a result of our own human efforts. God, in his unconditional love and mercy, has included free upgrade. And by that free upgrade, at the same time as our new birth, we're immediately advanced to a state of full privilege and full responsibility. From the moment of salvation, God treats us as full adults, not helpless babes. And this is what Paul's talking about in Galatians 4, when he refers to the full rights of sons, or adoption, or spirit of adoption, whichever translation. So, we're going to talk about that a little bit later again, further. But for now, Veronica's going to take over. She's got something a little bit different to share with you. Okie doke. <laughs> Uh, when addressing um, a conference, Rob Parsons, I don't know if you know him, of Care in the Family, told a story about a very famous violinist whose string broke as he started to play. Undeterred, he carried on. But he had a very, very complex solo at the end. So he absolutely did this magnificently on three strings. So the audience stood up and applauded. The orchestra stood up and banged their instruments in applause. He shouted over the microphone and he said, all my life it's been my mission to make music from what remains. That Rob Parsons said to his audience of foster carers and adopters, is what you do. You make music from what remains. Yeah. I just think how beautiful that is. Yeah. And that in itself, we could camp there today and talk forever. Of just the amount of children that have been through our home, which we've made music from what remained. Yeah. However, another day. Every day in the UK, 50 children are taken into care. Stop there. 50 children every day are taken into care. There's a shortfall of 9,000 foster homes and there are 6,000 children awaiting adoptive family. And a few weeks ago, we think it's called the Manchester Weekly now, not the advertiser, there was 2,647 children needing a home in the northwest alone. Now, in the Bible, in James 1 verse 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So I'm thinking, God says it, how are we doing it? By the way, adoption's not about finding children for families. It's about finding families for children. Yeah. 
In Psalm 68, verse 5 to 6, Our Father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Once again, God does it. Are we doing it? So, before I go any further, I'll do a Veronica. David talks about his dream, and naturally I share that dream. But perhaps to take it a little bit more wackier. So, I look at 9,000 foster homes needed, 6,000 adoptive parents needed, 15,000. And I know there's more than 15,000 churches. So, like David said, one couple, one family, one person per church could cancel that out. And then, just then, just maybe then, we wouldn't pick up the tab couple of decades later, of homelessness, drug abuse, alcohol issues, and maybe even food bank, because of what we've done right at the very beginning. And pastor, I hope you don't mind me saying it, I think that's a nation changer. Yes. Yeah. And I hope you don't mind me saying it, I think that's Christian mandate, you know, that's our Christian mandate. <laughs> and then, perhaps we won't need our hub of hope, quite the same, because... We won't have that massive need out there that's there now and growing. But there's always somebody that says it better than Veronica, I can assure you of that. So I'm just going to give you, I should put a quote up. Now, I asked to ask Pastor Philip, I don't know how you pronounce it, Lord, uh, Lloyd Demos. He's an eminent psychohistorian, whatever a psychohistorian is. And he says, and I, I only picked this up in reading another book. Every abandonment, every betrayal, every hateful act towards children returns tenfold a few decades later upon the historical stage. While every empathic act that helps a child become what he or she wants to become, every expression of love towards children heals society and moves it in unexpected, wondrous new directions. In other words, I guess we reap what we sow. Yeah. yeah. When we ill-treat, neglect and abuse children today, we are laying a foundation for tomorrow of even greater lawlessness, unrighteousness, hopelessness and desperation. But loving care can and does make a difference. And adoption certainly does try to make that difference by removing children from abusive environments and situations and placing them in positive, caring families. Well, shouldn't we, the church, adopted sons ourselves, be part of that difference? Yeah. I'd like to read you a story, so if you're fitting comfortably, I'll begin. And I read the story, it's a true story, and it's Bradley's story. I hope I don't cry. Those of you who have been part of the Dream Centre, or Bethel as it was, may recall the first baby that David and I fostered. It was some 15 years ago. He stole our hearts and we wanted to adopt him. We were turned down on the grounds of, inverted commas, concerns to our ability to meet his long-term needs. That's political correctness speak for, you're too old. Yeah. 
<laughs> we were heartbroken, gutted actually, and angry. But what happened from then on gave us a picture, an example of what adoption truly is. And of course it opened the door for us to be blessed and privileged of fostering all those other little ones that have graced and enriched our lives. So Bradley, well, Bradley was a different child, or should I say a child with a difference. He had FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome. Little was known about FAS at that time, but my GP recognised it immediately when I took Bradley for his checkup. And I recall clearly as though it was yesterday, my defensive reaction when he remarked on Bradley's features. My response, oh, he's lovely. I didn't say he wasn't lovely, the doctor replied, but let me show you. And he took a book down from the shelf in his office, opened it, and he showed me a picture of a child with the exact same double as Bradley. He explained to me how FAS resulted from the mother drinking alcohol whilst pregnant. And he went on to describe the long-term effects this would have on Bradley. The distinctive elfin features, the scrambled or at least differently wired brain, which would affect his thinking processes, his behaviour and his educational abilities. A degree of dwarfism, which would seriously inhibit his growth, so that he would always be of a very small stature. So, this was the child whom we couldn't adopt because the authorities considered us too old, but who was now up for adoption. I hate that terminology. It's like a commodity. Up for auction, up for sale. But then the wonderful happened. Peter and Christine. Pete and Chris were not looking for a child for their family. They already had their own. They were looking to offer a family to a child. Now, please bear in mind the difficulties that Bradley presented. As I described to you, Pete and Chris's existing family. A boy and a girl of early, early, early adulthood. A boy of 18 with Down syndrome. <laughs> A seven-year-old nephew with learning and behavioural difficulties. Why on earth would they want to introduce more hardship into their already difficult lives? Because that's because they're very special people. They adopted Bradley when he was 14 months old and have gone on to adopt another boy, younger than Bradley, who is partially sighted and severely crippled with cerebral palsy. And what a fantastic work they have done with those children. Their own down son has represented Great Britain in gymnastics. Their nephew has gone on to college and now lives independently. They continue to work tirelessly with the youngest boy to promote as much independence as he's capable of. And Bradley. <laughs> they nurtured, championed, and advocated for him throughout the difficulties and challenges of schooling. And have encouraged and supported the development of his natural talent for music. With their help, 
Bradley has become something of a minor celebrity in his locality. Known for his singing and showmanship in a number of theatre shows. Pete and Chris, to me, are the embodiment of what adoption is all about. And they have truly made music with what remains. Thank you. Okay, back to the serious stuff. <laughs> it, was a, it was a privilege, wasn't it, that? Adoption is primarily a New Testament teaching. Legal adoption was not prescribed in Jewish law, and nor was it practiced by the Israelites. Even though God constantly stresses that the orphans should be cared for. Isaiah 1, verse 17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless. Psalm 10, verse 14. David testifies to God's own example, saying, You are the helper of the fatherless. But why does Paul talk about adoption? Why does he talk about a Roman legislation to people that really, you know, sort of uh, didn't probably know properly what it was? Well, he does so in order to, in order to explain an important aspect of what God did and still does for us. Under Roman law, a childless, wealthy couple could provide a legal heir for their wealth by the practice of adoption. They could adopt a slave and pass on their wealth when they died, just as if that adopted son were their own biological son. The adopted son was guaranteed full legal rights of inheritance, which no one could overrule. If there were other male children, adopted sons or biological sons, they had each equal inheritance rights. An additional to these inheritance rights, an adopted son benefited in other ways. His old life was gone forever, old debts were cancelled, he was regarded as a new person entering a brand new life. As I said earlier, doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah. As Christians, that's our story, isn't it? The story of our spiritual adoption by our Father God. Abba Father. It's through the grace of Abba Father we have received the full rights of sons. And what are those rights? Well, to go into them in detail would take a long time, so just a little list. Number one, we have full membership of God's family. We have full rights and privileges in heaven. We have immediate access to God. We belong to his family. We bear his name. We have a full share in the inheritance he promises his children. And Satan has no claim on us because we're no longer a part of his family. Okay? So I'll run through them quickly. Pick them up if you're making notes. We have full membership of God's family. We have full rights and privileges in heaven. 
we have immediate access to God. We belong to his family. We bear his name. We have a full share in the inheritance he promises his children. And Satan has no claim on us because we're no longer part of his family. So, there are other things that I, I want to say that really are, are better than that. Well, I, I think they're more important. The first thing is to say that adoption is costly. And the second one, adoption has to be well planned. When we say that, we're not talking about just social services, modern day adoption. We are talking about spiritual adoption as well. But when we think about today's adoption, just ask Greta and Richard for their experience of the adoption process. You know, I believe that that couple deserve a real serious regard for what they we went do. through. We honour you. Yeah. yeah. The hoops they had to jump through, the sacrifices they made, and the emotional turmoil that they went through, all in order for God's promise to them to come into reality. Well, you've been blessed already, guys, but I want to bless you. Yeah? yeah. I think most of us would have uh, given up somewhere along the line and thought we must have heard God wrong. Yeah? You're an example to us. So thank you. But, as we said, your adoption and your adoption and my adoption cost so much more than even they went through. God sent his son to live as a man and to die as a man on a cross of shame in order to redeem us. That is, to pay the price for our liberation and adoption. It wasn't some sort of plan B. Earthly adoption is most often a secondary plan. When a couple have been unable to produce a child of their own, they've gone through all the IVF perhaps and all those sort of things, but still, unfortunately, being so unsuccessful. God didn't have to do that. God predestined us for adoption before the creation of the world. I'm going to give you some homework. Look it up for yourselves in Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6. Okay, Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6. God's plan A, his only plan was creation, fall, redemption, adoption. Okay? Creation, fall, redemption, adoption. And that was so that the full range of his glory, mercy, and grace put, could be known by his adopted sons. So we're reaching our final point. Though we can be certain of our adoption, that we are indeed adopted sons, we've not yet come into our full rights of sonship. The rights of inheritance are ours equally to all, whether adopted sons or true sons. And after God's true son, Jesus, was crucified and died, he was raised from the dead with a new glorified body. Therefore, our inheritance rights being the same in this life, 
we must await the glorious completion of our adoption, our full rights of sonship, the resurrection of our bodies. And you know what? The older you get, the more you realise you need a new body and the more grateful you are that you're going to get one. Okay? So I think it's a, adoption sounds pretty good. It gives us a new name, a new family, a new life, a new future, a new destiny, and a new body. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, that brings us to the end of our talk this morning, but I just want you to do a little exercise with me as we finish, if you don't mind. We're going to look again at our title. It reads, Adopting Our Full Rights of Sonship, which means taking on board or applying our rights of sonship. Okay? Because you are adopted sons, you're rich. Don't live with a spirit of poverty. You have the Holy Spirit. Don't live in the flesh. You have access to God. Use it. You have brothers and sisters. Lean on them. You have spiritual gifts. Put them to work for Christ. And you've been set free from Satan's power, so don't mess around with him anymore. Hmm? So... That's our title, Adopting Our Full Rights of Sonship, Applying Our Rights of Sonship. Now take our title again, but this time I want you mentally or literally to insert a, a dash after the word adopting. Okay? It changes the meaning. It becomes a statement of cause and effect. Adopting being the cause and full right, our, our full rights of sonship being the effect. The action of adopting by God results in our receiving our full rights of sonship. I just hope that's a way of sort of remembering it. So we've got the thing. Adopting, adopting our full rights of sonship, a reminder of what God has done for us. Adopting our full rights of sonship, a reminder to apply it in our daily walk. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you. That's helpful, eh? I'll say that again then, shall I? said that was very helpful. It's important, you know, that when we look at the, the adoption as, as sons, is that maturity is the biggest issue. So the Bible says you are sons of God. But then it tells us, or it, it asks us a question, who are the true sons of God? Hmm. Well, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm, okay, a child of God and a son who are the true sons. It's different. A true son is the one who does the will of the Father. Yeah? And that is where we all struggle from time to time. Doing the will of the Father. You know, if you, th if you think just doing the will of your natural parents and how much struggle you're, you have just doing the natural will of your parents and how much tension that can bring in an av average family home. 
but your own father naturally can turn his back on you. True? Millions and millions of fathers turn their back on their children. But God never turns his back on us. God never turns his back on us. But God says, I don't turn my back on you, but you are well capable of turning your back on me. So even though I don't stop becoming your father, here's the issue. I never stop becoming your father. You choose to stop becoming a son. That's the difference. God never says, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be your father anymore. No, no, no. God's always a father. That's his responsibility to you and I. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right? Can you imagine if fathers just said that today? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What a difference that would make to our world. But our Heavenly Father said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, but you and I have this ability to forsake the one that we say we love. And that brings pain to our Father's heart. Yeah? So we as children, we must... I thank God I'm adopted. I thank God I'm adopted. I thank God that when I, as a son, in the natural sense was not getting the relationship from my natural father. God was supplying to me from his grace what my natural dad couldn't supply. Yeah? And even when my natural dad finally came into a line, where me and him came into alignment, we had a very short space left, or time left, to really pursue that father and son relationship. But by that time, God had supplied so, but what about the millions of kids who haven't got that and are still waiting for that supply? So I think, you know, fostering and adoption and, and, and all those other things where we give children homes and, la- and, and love and, and give them a new life. Incredible grace upon people's life to do that. But what about you walking righteously before your father? Why don't you show yourself to be a good son? And a good daughter. The onus is not on God. The onus is on the sons. Those who live according. Those who walk according. Those who act accordingly. Are the true sons of God. You cannot live the way you want. And expect. Your heavenly father. To just allow you to keep on living like. Maturity is the greatest issue the church faces. And as a pastor. Last week. This week. And the weeks and years before that are all been about bringing us to maturity. The sad thing that breaks the heart of a pastor as well as because it breaks the heart of the father. Why? Because the pastor is a shepherd and his heart is reflective of the good shepherd. And I like what John says. Let me just read this verse and we'll we'll bring this to a close because it's not my job to speak. They've done an admirable job this morning. Uh, John says, where's it gone now? It gives me no greater pleasure than to see my children walking in the truth. What a beautiful statement. John was saying this. John was a father as well. It wasn't just a Paul, a Paul who was, a, who was a, a, an apostle and a father. John was saying it. He said, my children. It gives me no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. As sons, that's exactly 
that our Father should be able, he was writing a letter to us today, it should be one of commendation. It gives me no greater pleasure, me the Father and Son gives us no greater pleasure than to see you, Tony, walking as a true son. Amen? That's the issue right there. Pastors want you to be mature. God wants me to be mature. He wants us to be mature. And that's why Paul said, I labor to form Christ in you. Why? Because he's the standard. He's the model. Now listen, if he's the father, sorry, if he's the pattern model son, you must become the pattern model son and daughter. You must reflect the nature, image, and likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what a good son does. So David said it, uh, I think it was Veronica said it quite succinctly, to Melanie, you must be your father's because you like him. <laughs> that wasn't a compliment. <laughs> okay. Well, you like your father, good, bad, and whatever that means, Mel. And uh, that's what we should become. Like our father, like our, that because Jesus, it said about Jesus, uh, the, sort of the disciples, they knew who he'd been with. Why? Because his characteristics was now being reflected in them. And that's what sonship's about. Sonship. So to be son is to be mature. But what does mature mean? It means to be wholesome, righteous. And upright. Upright before God. So let's stand to our feet. We will pursue maturity. We will pursue wholesomeness. And we will pursue uprightness. With all that is within us, we must go for this. Because this is what produces Christ in us. And this is what forms Christ in us. If it, really, it really, really does trouble me. When I can't see Christ in some believers. And then you get classed as being judgmental. It's not judgmental. The Bible says by the fruits you shall know. So what does that mean? You should have some evidence. But what really does surprise me is people who smile, people who raise their hands, people who call you pastor, smile, not the red. They know all the right words because we've been trained in church, don't forget we know how to do it. And then when the, when the word comes to them, they don't take it beyond. It never goes beyond them. They have some working out to do. But all I can do is take care of my own life. You take care of yours. I'll take care of mine. I heard this morning in our prayer meeting. I heard from the Lord as it was, scripture was read. Tony, you just discharge all the duties of your ministry. And leave the results to me. You discharge. You let, let everything I've given you. Pour it all out to the people. And then let me take over from what you, you discharge. So thank you Mary for that scripture. That was a good scripture you read. It, it refreshed me this morning. It was a challenge to my heart. Uh, it's true. So you're ready to discharge your duties as a son. That's what it's about. Let's raise our holy hands if we will please. Adopting our full rights of sonship. Adopting our full rights of the son. It's not just about you feeling nice and warm. It's about you living up to what's been put in.
If you're a son, be worthy of a son. Obey the words of your heavenly father. Because by doing this, the heavens in turn respond by saying it gives us no greater joy than to see our children walking in the truth. Father, I pray for your house. I pray for your people. Oh God, I pray, oh God, mature as the sons and daughters. Speak to our hearts individually, corporately. Father, I pray for every tribe, tongue, and culture in this house. Lord, you're the father of all. There is no other father. There is no one father for any individual culture. You are the father of our hearts. And all things appertain to to you, O God. So, Father, this morning, as a house of sons and daughters, we rise before you when we say, God, teach us how to walk in accurate sonship. So that our sons and daughters reflect the nature, likeness and image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, to this end, we labor with all your energy until Christ is formed in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a standing ovation.